Chapter 23 of The Daughter of a Magnate by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 23 Business. Cruelly broken and bruised, young Bill Dancing and Glover late that night were brought up in rope cradles by the wrecking Derrick and taken into the Brock car turned by its owner into a hospital. An hour after the fall on the south arrate, the hill blockade had been broken. With word of the disaster to nerve men already strained to the utmost, effort became superhuman, the impossible was achieved, and the relief train run in on the mine track. Morris Blood, unconscious, was lifted from the narrow shelf at four o'clock and put under a surgeon's care in time to save his life. To rig a tackle for a three-hundred-foot lift was another matter. But even while the derrick car stood idle on the spur waiting for the cable equipment from the mine, a laughing boy of a surgeon from the hospital was lowered with the first of the linemen to the snowfield where the three men roped together had fallen and surgical aid reached them before sunset. Last to come up because he still gave the orders, Glover, cushioned and strapped in the tackle, was lifted out of the darkness of the night into the streaming glare of the headlights. Very carefully he was swung down to the mattresses piled on the track, and before all that looked and waited, a woman knelt and kissed his sunken eyes. Not then did the men, dim in the circle about them, show what they felt, though they knew, to the meanest trackhand, all it meant. Not when, after a brief moment of hesitation, Gertrude's father knelt opposite on the mattress pile, did they break their silence, though they shrewdly guessed what that meant. But when Glover pulled together his disordered members, and at Gertrude's side walked without help to the step of the car, the murmur broke into a cheer that rang from Pilot to Glentarn. It was more than half my fault, he breathed to her after his broken arms had been set and the long gash of his head stitched. I need not have lost my balance if I'd kept my head. Gertrude, I may as well admit it. I'm a coward since I've begun to love you. I've never told you how I saw your face once between the curtains of an empty sleeper, but it came back to me just as dancing shoulders slipped. That's why I went. I'm done forever with long chances. And she, silent, tried only to quiet him while the car moved down the gap, bearing them from pilot together. Do you know what day tomorrow is? Gertrude was opening a box of flowers that Solomon had brought from the express office. Glover, plastered with bandages, was standing before the great fire in the hotel parlor. Tomorrow, he echoed. Sunday. Sunday? Why do you always guess Sunday when I ask you what day it is? You would think every day is Sunday if you had had as good a time as I have for six weeks. The doctor does say you're doing beautifully. I asked him yesterday how soon you would be well, and he said you never had been so well since he knew you. But what is tomorrow? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, indeed. Yes, every day is Thanksgiving for us. 
but it's not especially that. Christmas. Nonsense. Tomorrow is the second anniversary of our engagement. My Lord Gertrude, have we been engaged two years? Why, at that rate, I can't possibly marry you till I'm forty-four. It isn't two years, it's two months. And tonight they have their memorial service for poor Patty McGraw. And do you know your friend Mr. Foley has our engine now? Yes, he came up the other day to ask about you, but in reality to tell me he had been promoted. I think he ought to have been, after I spoke myself to Mr. Archibald about it. But what touched me was the poor fellow asked if I wouldn't see about getting some flowers for the memorial at the engineer's lodge tonight, and he didn't want his wife to know anything about it, because she would scold him for spending his money. See what you're coming to? So I suggested he should let me provide his flowers and ours together, and when I tried to find out what he wanted, he asked if a throttle made of flowers would be all right. Your heart would not let you say no? I told him it would be lovely, and to leave it all to me. She brought forward the box she was opening. See how they've laid this throttle bar of violence across those galax leaves and latched it with a rose. Here, Solomon, she exiled the boy from an adjoining room. Take this very carefully. No, there isn't any card. Oh, she exclaimed as he left, and she clasped her lifted hands. I am glad. I'm glad we're leaving these mountains. Do you know Papa is to be here tomorrow, and that your speech must be ready? He isn't going to give his consent without being asked. I suppose not, said Glover dejectedly. What are you going to say? I shall say that I consider him worthy of my confidence and esteem. I think you would make more headway, dearest, if you should tell him you considered yourself worthy of his confidence and esteem. But hang it, I don't. Well, couldn't you for once fib a little? Oh, Ab, I'll tell you what I wish you could do. Pray what? Talk a little business to him. I feel sure if you could only talk business a while, Papa would be all right. Business? If it's only a question of talking business, the thing's as good as done. I can't talk anything but business. Can't you, indeed? I like that. Pray, what did you talk to me on the platform of my father's own car? Business? You talk the silliest stuff I ever listened to, not reflecting on anyone present, of course. And Ab? Yes. If you could take him aback somehow, nothing would give him such an idea of you. I think that was what, well, I was so completely overcome by your audacity. You seemed so, commented Glover rather grimly. Very well. If you want him taken aback, I will take him aback, even if I have to resort to force. He withdrew his right arm from its sling and began unwrapping the bandages and throwing the splints into the fire. What in the world are you doing? asked Gertrude in consternation. There's no use carrying these things any longer. My right arm is just as strong as it ever was. And to tell the truth, now keep your distance, if you please. 
To tell the truth, I never could play ball left-handed anyway, Gertrude. Now let's begin easy. Just shake hands with me. I'll do nothing of the sort. It's bad form anyway. You may just shake hands with yourself. All things considered, I think you have good reason to. I understand you were chief engineer of this system at one time, began Mr. Brock at the very outset of the dreaded interview. I was, answered Glover, and that you resigned voluntarily to take an inferior position on the mountain division. That is true. Railroad men with ambition, commented Mr. Brock dryly, don't usually turn their faces from responsibility in that way. They look higher and not lower. I thought I was looking higher when I came to the mountains. That may do for a joke, but I'm talking business. I, too, and since I am, let me explain to you why I resigned a bigger position for a lower one. The fact is well known. The reason isn't. I came to this road at the call of your second vice president, Mr. Bucks. I've always enjoyed a large measure of his confidence. We saw some years ago that a reorganization was inevitable and spent many nights discussing the different features of it. This is what we determined, that the key to this whole business with its 8,000 miles of main line and branches is this mountain division. To operate the system economically and successfully, means that the grades must be reduced and the curvature reduced on this division. Surely, with you, I need not dwell on the ABCs of 20th century railroading. It is the road that can handle the tonnage cheapest that will survive. All this we knew, and I told him to put me out on this division. It was during the receivership, and there was no room for frills. I have worked here on a small salary and done everything but maul spikes to keep down expenses on the division, because we had to make some showing to whoever wanted to buy our junk. In this way, I took a roving commission and packed my bag from an office where I could acquire nothing I did not already know to a position where I could get hold of the problem of mountain transportation and cut the coal bills of the road in two. Have you done it? Have I cut the coal bills in two? No, but I've learned how. It will cost money to do that. How much money? Thirty millions of dollars? A good deal of money. No. No? No. Don't let us be afraid to face figures. You will spend a hundred millions before you quit, Mr. Brock, and you will make another hundred millions in doing it. To put it bluntly, the mountains must be brought to terms. For three years I've eaten and lived and slept with them. I know every grade, curve, tunnel, and culvert from here to Bear Dance, yes, to the coast. The day of heavy gradients and curves for transcontinental tonnage is gone by. If I ever get a chance, I will rip this right-of-way open from end to end and make it possible to send freight through these ranges at a cost undreamed of in the estimates of today. But that was not my only object in coming to the mountains. Go ahead. 
Mr. Bucks and the men he has gathered around him, Callahan, Blood, and the rest of us, are railroad men. Railroading is our business. We know nothing else. There was an embarrassing chance that when our buyer came, he might be hostile to the present management. Happily, Glover bowed to the Pittsburgh magnate, he isn't. But he might have been. I see. We were prepared for that. How? I shouldn't speak of this if I did not know you were Mr. Buck's closest friend. Even he doesn't know it, but six months of my own time, not the company's, I put in on a matter that concerned my friends and myself, and I have the notes for a new line to parallel this if it were needed, and Blood and I have the only pass within three hundred miles, north or south, to run it over. These were some of the reasons, Mr. Brock, why I came to the mountains. I understand. I understand perfectly. Mr. Glover, what is your age, sir? The time seemed right to put Gertrude's second hint into play. That is a subject I never discussed with anyone, Mr. Brock. He waited just a moment to let the magnate get his breath and continued. May I tell you why? When the road went into the receivership, I was named as one of the receivers on behalf of the government. The president, when I first met him during my term, asked for my father, thinking he was the man that had been recommended to him. He wouldn't believe me when I assured him I was his appointee. If I had known how young you were, Glover, said he to me afterward, I never would have dared appoint you. The position paid me $25,000 a year for four years, but the incident paid me better than that, for it taught me never to discuss my age. I see, I see. A fine point. You have taught me something. By the way, about the pass you spoke of, I suppose you understand the importance of getting hold of a strategic point like that to a forestall competition. I have hold of it. I do not mind saying to you, under all the circumstances, that there's been a little friction with the Harrison people. Do you see? And, for reasons that may suggest themselves, there may be more. They may conclude to run a line to the coast themselves. The young man has, I believe, been turned down. I understand the slate has been changed slightly stammered Glover, coloring. There might be resentments, that's all. Blood is loyal to us, I presume. There's no taint anywhere in Mars' blood. He is loyalty itself. What would you think of him as general manager, Callahan going to the river as traffic manager? Mr. Bucks, you know, is the new president. These are recommendations. What do you think of them? No better men on earth for the positions, and I'm mighty glad to see them get what they deserve. Our idea is to leave you right here in the mountains. It was hard to be left completely out of the New Deal, but Glover did not visibly wince. With the title, added Mr. Brock, after he knew his arrow had gone home, with the title of second vice president, which Mr. Bucks now holds. That would give you full swing in your plans for the rebuilding of the system. 
I want to see them carried out as the estimates I've been studying this winter show. Don't thank me. I did not know till yesterday they were entirely your plans. You can have every dollar you need. It will rest with you to produce the results. I guess that's all. No, stop. I want you to go east with us next week for a month or two as our guest. You can forward your work the faster when you get back. And I should like you to meet the men whose money you are to spend. Were you waiting to see Gertrude? Why, yes, sir, I... I'll see whether she's around. Gertrude did not appear for some moments. Then she half ran and half glided in, radiant. I couldn't get away, she exclaimed. He's talking about you, yet to Aunt Jane and Marie. He says you're charged with dynamite. I knew that. A most remarkable young man. How did you ever convince him you knew anything? I'm confident you don't. You must have taken him somehow aback, didn't you? If you want to give your father a touch of asthma, suggested Glover, ask him how old I am. But he had me scared once or twice, admitted the engineer, wiping the cold sweat from his wrist. Did he give his consent? Why, hang it, I got to talk in business, and I forgot to... So like you, dear. However, it must be all right, for he said he should need your help in buying the coast branches and the short line. The short line, gasped Glover. Well, I haven't inventoried lately. If we marry in June... Don't worry about that, for we shan't marry in June, my love. But when we do, we should need some money for a wedding trip. We certainly shall. A lot of it, dearie. I may have ten or twelve hundred left after that's provided for. But my confidence in your father's judgment is very great. And if he's going to make up a pool, my money is at his service, as far as it'll go, to buy the short line and any other line he may take a fancy to. Why, he's just telling Marie about your making a hundred thousand dollars in four years by being wonderfully shrewd, but that confounded mine that I told you about. You dear old stupid. Never mind, you've made a real strike today. But if you ever again delude Papa into thinking you know more than I do, I shall expose you without mercy. The train, a private car special carrying Mr. Brock, chairman of the board, and his family, the new president and the second vice president, elect, was pulling slowly across the long high spans of the spider bridge. Glover and Gertrude had gone back to the observation platform. Leading on his arm, she was looking across the big valley and into the west. The sun, setting clear, tinged with gold the far snows of the mountains. It is less than a year, she was murmuring, since I crossed this bridge, think of it. And what bridges have I not crossed since? See, your mountains are fading away. My mountains faded away, dear heart, don't you know, when you told me I might love you. 
as for those his eyes turned from the distant ranges back to her eyes after all they brought me you end of chapter 23 end of the daughter of a magnate